0: Good morning, everyone. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. But joining me in studio is Matt Coda, who's the owner of Meadow Hills Consulting. And um, I asked Matt, do we call you a lobbyist? He goes, no, advocate. And I said, well, that's a nicer, gentler word. So we're going right. to say advocate. Thank you. So welcome, Matt. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Pat.
0: You know, Matt's been on the show a couple times. Um, he has represented the Vermont Fuel Dealers Association forever.
1: <laughs> That's a kind way of putting sure. it.
0: Long time, right? Yeah. And yeah. then he expanded to include Vermont Automobile Dealers Association, which I was very involved with when I was at Motor Vehicles. And then I thought I'd have Matt come back because I checked out his website, his new company is called Meadow Hills Consulting, and maybe you can talk a little bit about um, the mission and all those good things you have on your website.
1: Sure, yeah. You know what we do fundamentally, Pat, at Meadow Hill is we manage nonprofit trade associations so these are organizations business organizations that uh, come together uh, because they have a common interest common purpose and and like all nonprofits they have boards they have uh, certain filings that they have to do the management and uh, an organization work that's that's key to it plus bookkeeping uh, that's the boring stuff the the interesting stuff is the communications uh, connecting people um, regarding the issues that they care about and, and serving as their advocate, not just in the State House, but uh, throughout the state of Vermont. And the through line for all these nonprofit organizations that I work for is that they're local, right? They're, they're people that live here in Vermont. They pay taxes here in Vermont. They, they, they're small businesses, like most businesses in Vermont, and they provide a service, uh, whether it's, uh, it's cars, it's fuel, it's heating service, um, it's equipment. Um, the stuff that you need to 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 stay warm, to get where you need to go, um, those are the those are the businesses that make up the various trade associations that Meadow Hill works for.
0: That's great. So I thought uh, we've never we've only talked about Veda and uh, the Vermont Fuel Dealers Association over the years, particularly when bills like S five sure came up, which is something i i shouldn't talk about anymore because I get so upset about it, um but anyway, so I thought I was going to just ask Matt to talk about the rest of his clients, some of whom I have never heard of sadly doing great.
1: How you doing? Know. <laughs> Well, well, they'll change, right? I mean, there's yeah. there's there's lots of reasons for uh, different organizations to have a, a voice, whether it's in the media, it's in the it's in uh, it's in state government, and and that's oftentimes they have to turn to uh, consulting firms like yeah. like mine in order to do that. So, you know, one of the ones that is uh, that's really excited, I'm really excited about is the heating and cooling contractors of Vermont. Now, these are the the businesses that sell the equipment that they install the heating equipment and they perform the service that keeps it warm. And They are incredibly busy right now, as you can imagine, as we see the first drops of snow on the mountain and and the the first frost kicks in. And and those are the companies that you call when you turn on your heating system and you you want it to work the best or you need a new heating system, and they sell a variety of different products and services. And they all need education training, and they all need help with all the different regulations that the government passes in order to ensure safety uh, and efficiency. So that's, that's the role that we play for that organization, the heating and cooling contractor, similar with the Northeast Hearth Patio and Barbecue Association.
0: I like that one, Matt.
1: You know, <laughs> you know there, there, that is a very popular over the past 20 years is insert equipment. You know, fireplaces are wonderful, right? Wood fireplaces—that's how we heated our homes. We, saw many people still heat their homes? But what we're finding is that with the um, the pollution, the particulate matter, the loss of uh, of heat when the the fire goes out and the, and the heat goes up the chimney, that a lot of uh, individuals in their homes are are installing gas inserts. Now, whether it's natural gas or propane, but they're installing gas inserts into their old fireplaces or just installing gas inserts into their into their homes as a way of Providing heat that doesn't need electricity, right? If it's gas, and which is great when the power goes out, and they're also uh, w- wonderful uh, gathering places in a den or a uh, um, in a living room of some sort. And so, uh, many of these um, out, many of these fixtures are also outside. People that have. Um, outdoor patios that want uh, want to cook pizza ovens or have uh, a barbecue outside, um, those are the, the, the equipment and the installers, um, they, they turn to us to help them with these processes. And, you
0: know, years ago, um, I'm sure that all of this equipment has gotten much better safety-wise, but oh, when I was growing up, one of the biggest causes of fire – was some of these room, room space heaters, whatever they call them, but, uh, I think people are pretty savvy these days and you don't hear about that many fires happening, yeah
1: in fact, and we've passed uh, the state of Vermont and other states have regulations that that prevent that ban the uh, non vented heat sources ah. as some of those old kerosene things those right. are largely gone there you know there's electric space heaters, there are um, there are very inexpensive uh, propane gas um, um, hot air. Uh, equipment that can go in to help heat a room. You know, you think about these old homes that they have boilers in the basement, maybe they have oil heat and, or even a wood stove, but it doesn't get the heat to a certain part of the room. Uh, there's a lot of new equipment, modern equipment, that can go in and, and heat that space, whether it uses electricity, wood, or gas.
0: And don't forget to get your chimneys cleaned. Oh, absolutely. Seriously, be smart about it.
1: Yeah, you know, the wood burners that burn wood every year to augment their oil heat or propane, um, they they probably have it down by now. But there are people that say, you know what, I'm going to try uh, uh, my wood stove. I haven't used it in a couple of years. <laughs> and, and it's always a concern. I know for the local firefighters, they always talk about it. They always send out press releases and public service announcements because uh, you really need to maintain your wood burning equipment just as you would – Your your oil or or propane equipment.
0: Yep, that's great. Um, I know we're pretty. My husband's very strict about that. We get that that cleaned out regularly because you can have a chimney fire and bye bye house pretty much. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's That's
0: right. It's pretty sad. Anyway, so um, I've got a, a bunch more that you've been involved in the VPA. The Vermont Petroleum Association, and um, that must have a lot of members.
1: Well, so that's the wing of the Vermont Grocers Association Retail Association. That's the organization that was run for a long time by by Jim Harrison. Now right. is, is run by Aaron Sagerus, who does a wonderful job representing the the retailers and grocers in Vermont. And and they have a division, um, of mostly convenience stores. These are the 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 businesses that you see on Main Street everywhere uh, across Vermont that. Uh, that have the gas pumps and provide the gasoline and diesel fuel that the vast majority of vehicles on the road depend on in order to get from here to there.
0: I didn't know that about the VPA. Um, That's an interesting combo, groceries and VPA. I mean it.
1: Well, if, if you think about it, you know, uh, as grocery stores, yes, we have grocery stores in, in areas, but in many rural areas of Vermont, the convenience store is a key place where you get your True. milk, your butter, um, uh, maybe a six-pack of beer, um, uh, you know, a water, a seltzer, and your gasoline. So these convenience stores are critical to our food infrastructure and for our transportation mm. infrastructure and yeah, it's all part of the uh, Retail and Grocers Association, and I and I um, I'm proud to work with them and, and help them think about the issues with regards to to tanks and taxes and, and and safety measures and 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 there's a there's a convergence there where if you're in the business of selling gasoline, you're also probably in the convenience store business, and uh, you need a need a full team to help. Guide you through all the different regulations and laws that Vermont tends to pass uh, regarding those fuels and those uh, those services. You're
0: We're laughing when he says the laws that the Vermont tends to pass. Yes. There you go. Joining me in studio is Matt Coda. He's the owner of Meadow Hills Consulting, and he's an advocate for many um, companies, somewhat related to to uh, fuel and and because Matt's Matt grew up with his parents being. In the fuel business right
1: well yep yeah, my grandparents my, oh, my grandfather Ken and my grandmother Helen started uh, a the first 24 hour gas station in Vermont in Bellows Falls huh. in 1941 and then that grew into a heating oil distributor and and then became a, um, a full-service uh, energy company which is uh, still owned by a cousin of mine um, but I, I left that business went into the uh, went into the TV business as a journalist and then uh, migrated to uh, non-profit management and advocacy work, which is what I do now.
0: And besides what we're talking about, Matt also teaches a course at UVM, which I'd like to go and just eavesdrop one time. I bet you're fabulous.
1: Well, maybe you can come and be a guest lecturer. I could. For I- yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I teach a business communication course, and uh, it's uh it's a wonderful experience. And I enjoy it quite, and and I learn a lot uh, about my own children because my own children are in, are in college right now, and uh, it's, get out. Yeah, yeah, so I get to. They're not at UVM, but I certainly can sympathize with what the young people are going through because I hear from my own children about their experience in college.
0: For for sure, I used to teach a lot with Bill Doyle's class oh, sure. up at Johnson. That's there was right. a whole bunch of us that used to go up there and and help Bill out. Um, but anyway, back to uh, back to the advocacy work. Um, there's the South. I- I've never heard of this, and shame on me. South Burlington Business Association (S.B.B.A.) Um, that they promote responsible growth, economic development, and um, maybe you could talk a little bit about about them. That's yeah, pretty yeah. Cool.
1: South Burlington Business Association was formed about five years ago, and it's really an, an amazing um, organization. In in the city, and I'm, I mean, I'm a proud resident of South Burlington. I served on the city council in South Burlington. I was on the development review board. I was chair of that organization. Was there for, for seven years, and then two years as a, a city councilor. And um, and you know, South Burlington is now the second largest city now that Essex is divided. We're the second largest oh. city in Vermont. And you know, oftentimes we try to stand out from our neighbor to the north. Uh, we aren't. Uh, we are in Burlington South. We are South Burlington and and there's a tremendous amount of economic development happening in that city and really I- I innovators like onlogic a computer uh, computer uh, company makes computers has locations all over the world they're building that massive facility um, right by the whale tails as you drive past williston um you know of course we have a fedex there as well we also have beta technologies it is burlington international airport the patrick leahy burlington international airport but it is in City of South Burlington, there
0: you go. and you have just a few car dealers along <laughs> we, Route Seven. We have a
1: lot of car dealers <laughs> along Route Seven. It's a great place to buy a car. Yeah. And and so with all the different business interests, with our with the fact that we're a growing city, the fact that we're dealing with what many communities are dealing with, which is this imbalance between um, a lack of housing. We've got the we've got the university mall. We've got this new burgeoning city center. We've got lots of new hotels coming online, and of course, we've got the relationship that we have with the two largest employers in the area being University of Vermont Health Center and the University right. of Vermont. Right. So there's a lot going on there, and um, they made the decision that they they absolutely needed um, you know someone to oversee their their advocacy work and. And all this stuff happening, not just at City Hall, but in Montpelier. And as a 10-year uh, resident of South Burlington, former counselor, former Development Review Board member, I, I jumped at the chance to work That's with those, that team.
0: Well, I found interesting because I researched all of these um, entities. And at their fall meeting, their, their keynote speaker is Chief Sean Burke, who's the chief of South Burlington. And the topic is Safety. And I think these days that's a very good topic to talk about for businesses.
1: Yes, and we, we are very fortunate here in South Burlington to have Chief Burke. Um, he's a he's a he's a fantastic police chief. Came from the, the city of Burlington, and uh, you know, trying to navigate the challenging issues that we have with retail theft. And uh, it's certainly an issue in Burlington and South Burlington and many other communities. Right. And, uh, and and some of it's related to the opioid epidemic and, and trying to ensure that the safety of the – not only the, the businesses and their employees but also the people that are there to shop. And, um, and Chief Burke has been out in front and is very helpful and we've asked him to come speak at our, at our meeting next week.
0: Yeah, you see some of those stories uh, out in California and other places where they're just daily, every day. Sometimes the same store gets hit two and three times. I mean – why they keep reopening is sort of – and that's the worry, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a challenge. Yeah, it sure. is for sure. So um, moving on, uh, this one I don't know either. Vermont Commission on Union Districts Association.
1: No, Vermont Communications Union District oh, Association, often called the CUDs. We are the, the 10 – Different quasi-municipal uh, um, uh, organizations that are formed in order to in order to ensure that broadband, world-class fiber broadband internet uh, goes where some of the for-profit uh, out-of-state corporations fear to tread. Where you are going into the rural areas, the dirt roads that that right. that it's very difficult, very expensive to build out a broadband network. But understanding that just like a hundred years ago in electrification of Vermont. Uh, you can't really live these days. I mean, you can, but but it's very challenging to do what you need to do for your children, for your for your work, um, for being an informed citizen without access to internet. For sure. So um, these CUDs were a, a creature of, of re- reacting to that marketplace where you know for profit companies just uh, just didn't see the opportunity uh, to expand in rural areas uprose these cuds with the help of uh, the federal um, uh, funding to expand broadband internet have been able to ensure that people who live in rural areas uh, aren't on the other side of the digital divide that can actually get world class broadband internet and we knew we learned from certainly from uh, the covid pandemic that those children that did not have access to the internet and those uh, vermonters whose jobs really depended on it if they didn't have a reliable stable high-speed connection right. they were really outside of the of this of this transformation that we're having right now where we're more and more online so the cuds are those entities that um, are there to make sure that every part of Vermont Great. gets world-class broadband, not just where the uh, the large for-profit uh, cable companies can make a buck.
0: So are we getting closer to solving the last mile d- discussion? I mean, are we, are we work- we're working on it? That's
1: the idea. We, yeah. You know, 2030 is a nice round number, and we've got lots of uh, uh, goals that we're trying to accomplish right. by 2030. But with the, the idea is that we can get world-class broadband to... Every corner That's of Vermont great. by the end of the decade.
0: We need, We have a, a section in Berlin that n- never had – we just didn't. And because uh, there's very few people that lived on the road, so it wasn't economically feasible for them to run the wires. And the woman who lived on the top of the, uh, the road on the hill and beautiful landscape, beautiful view, she had to go in to the library every day to work because right. – I mean, so we need to fix that for sure.
1: And it all ties into housing, right? So I also work a little bit for the Greater Burlington Industrial Corporation in the idea of, listen, we have an affordable housing crisis. But we have a housing crisis at large, which is is if people have to drive further away from their work – or they have to live further away from their work in order to afford a home. Well, we're just adding more congestion. We're adding more traffic. We're adding more carbon emissions. The idea that we we need to build more um, housing, I think right. we're finally turning a tide in that, in that in order to truly address the housing crisis, we need to be able to uh, build more. Right. And, but part of that also is broadband, right? So if you are going to expand in a more rural area of Vermont, Without having broadband, it makes it even more difficult for those for that community to be. But if you create world-class broadband, you relax the regulations to ensure that we can build more housing, that we release some of the pressure that some of our our, our, our towns are facing, some of our businesses are facing, because if you ask any business out there, what's, what do you need? They need well-trained individuals to, to begin working. But mm-hmm. if you are from outside of Vermont and are looking at the taxes and the cost of living, in the lack of broadband, you're going well. Maybe not.
0: Yeah, and this apparently this organization, um, and I've heard about the CUDs, and now I understand. Sure. Thank you. Um, that they're also focused on workforce development, um, because just as you said, they need people. It's a great future for people.
1: That's right, and that's and that's the through line, uh, Pat, through a lot of these organizations. Not only are they local, not only are they the people that work there live here, but uh, they all need, we all need a, a trained workforce. So right. whether you're a car dealer, I mean, what are they looking for? Mechanics. Right. We don't have enough mechanics. You know, whether you're uh, uh, you know, a fuel dealer, you need you need trained drivers, you need trained heating technicians, gas and oil techs, and, and, and electricians. Um, with broadband, same thing. We need people out there that can string wires and connect homes. I mean, these are highly technical jobs. Don't necessarily require a college degree. Uh, but certainly require a high-level training, and, and guess what? They're really well-paid.
0: Oh, and that's what we well, always talk about, tech tech ed here. Um, for years and years, when I was growing up, it was like, oh, that's where you send the kids that can't make it. But now businesses are desperate for technical um help and they make serious money it's a good place to be
1: absolutely but we but it's the it's sort of the the chicken and the egg thing's like you need to get them here but we also need to get affordable housing right, right. and we also need to get broadband in these areas where where people want to
0: live were you following the housing bill last year you no, must sure. have been Absolutely. The, I, i'm just going to give you my personal impression unless they do a rewrite of act 250 yep. that bill was a scattergun uh, when you looked at what they did and they did good things Taken separately, but but there's no there's no direction or plan about how to fix this, and and it's not easy. I I give them credit for doing something, but it's Act 250, don't you think?
1: It is, and <laughs> and, and the initial reproach uh, was on target. And then it turned back into a just a three-year exemption for right. for some of these developing these right. downtowns, which you know, three years is no time for planning. For sure, uh, if you if you're trying to develop a piece of property and the clock is starting, yeah, um, particularly as you deal with. Other external factors, right. interest rates, uh, the cost of uh, supply of materials, labor, all that things, And then, then you're given a three-year, oh, here's your window to, to, right. to maximize the, the amount of housing you can put on this property. It's like we're, we're going against what we, we actually need. We need housing.
0: Right. Period. <laughs> <Full> stop. <laughs> well, and I think I feel bad for some of the towns that got impacted by the flood. That's going to set a lot of these projects back. It's not going to help the housing because now they've got to find funding for, to to uh, you know refurbish the town, get it back up and running. Uh, Barry Montpelier and a lot of others around Vermont.
1: Very true, very true. And and, and you know we've been working with uh, the administration and Efficiency Vermont on on figuring out the, all those. Homes that were impacted by the flooding and have had, you know, if you had 18 inches of water in your basement, you might have your boiler or your furnace right. or your or water heater compromised. And, and we're going to we're going to hear those phone calls here in the next couple of weeks as the weather turns cold and people realize, oh, I guess I should have got that checked out this past summer.
0: Right. And then you have um, uh, an issue with how many inspectors are out there to come and, and do it quickly for you. Uh, some people are, are not able to get... Back opened or back living in their home because they can't find the the workers.
1: Yeah, and and, and really there's bad. also and there's also but there are but here's what's interesting, Vermont being a very generous state, there are funds yes. out there to help. Yep. So income qualified people can get up to ten thousand right. um, dollars for a new oil or propane system if they were impacted by the flood and they meet certain income criteria, and uh, and we've done so much outreach, mm-hmm. but a lot of people aren't are. When there when there's a crisis, then we'll we'll hear from them, and that's right. unfortunate, but that's the reality.
0: Yeah, no, I and that is one thing. And thank you for for mentioning that. Vermont is a very generous state. Absolutely, for sure. And when there's a crisis like this, everybody comes together, and yep. uh, politics aside, you just do what's right. For sure. I had Bill Fraser on in a couple of um, uh, businesses in Montpelier for a show, a TV show, I was doing and every one of them was just blown away by the number of volunteers absolutely. by the resources that are out there if you know where to look and there's true uh, but anyway it's great so you mentioned GBIC which is a phenomenal organization when i was uh, secretary of transportation by virtue of that job i was on the on the board and what an amazing organization
1: yeah oh absolutely, absolutely. maybe
0: absolutely. you could tell folks a little about it because um that's that's they're just great.
1: Yeah, the Great Burlington Industrial Corporation is really the entity that helped create what is um, what we like to call, or try to rebrand, as the Silicon Forest here in Vermont, which is all the different tech companies and and and, and manufacturing companies that uh, are in Chittenden County and uh, in, in the northwest northwestern Vermont, but um, really are the, the the running our our state's that's economy. That's
0: great. I'm sitting here talking to Matt Coda, and he was looking on his website with his Vermont Automobile Dealer Association hat on and said to me, how many electric vehicles do you think they bought or sold last year? I, I, I'm not buying one, so <laughs> my number's not in there.
1: <laughs> well, well, Pat, yeah. It, it, for any, anyone listening back there, it, you know, we put together – one of the things that Meadow Hill does is they have a site called Meadow Hill Media, com, where we put a bunch of – uh, information that is helpful for consumers and for, uh, for businesses. And one of the things that we publish every month is something called the Vermont Vehicle Index, which is a monthly report and then a, a fiscal year report of how many cars were sold, what kind of cars they are, what kind of powertrains they are, and just to give an update. And, I, and it's, just, it's one of the more popular um, pages at metalhillmedia.com. And so, if you if you want to know what's driving Vermont, you can you can go there. But yeah, in the first nine months of 2023, Pat, um, 57,844 vehicles were registered by Vermonters, and huh. uh, the vast majority of those, of course, were gasoline uh, vehicles. And but there, those were about 57,000. And but there were uh, 1,608 all-electric vehicles, uh, 917 plug-in electric vehicles. Uh, Then there were 2,354 vehicles that run on diesel fuel. We sell twice as many – register twice as many used vehicles as new vehicles. Um, But – and uh, the top sellers, of course, are Subarus, Ford, Toyota, Chevrolet, Honda, Volkswagen, GMC, Nissan.
0: Where's my Arcadia? It's not even in the list. (laughs) I love that car. Well, it's
1: GMC, so it's in there. (laughs) It's in the mix.
0: That's true. Um, I have a hot – it's a – deeper red than i had before you can see it coming a mile away i love it oh no, don't get it it's got more bells and whistles it's so awesome
1: but that that market's changing as we talked yeah. about in the past there's going to be more and more electric vehicles Uh, on the lot for you to choose from as the regulations require. Vermont, as you may know, is what's called a zero-emission vehicle state, adopting the California Air Resources Board regulations that requires the manufacturers of these automobiles to deliver to dealers in those ZEV states, of which Vermont is one of 16 or 17 now, uh, in ever-increasing numbers, more battery electric and hybrid vehicles. And what we're finding here in Vermont is the hybrid vehicles are selling uh, the electric gas hybrids are selling; uh, they're more popular than the electric vehicles right. now. But and there'll still be those on the market. But we will absolutely see more all electric vehicles. So, as an example, you know, we represent six percent of all electric vehicles represent about six percent of new car sales, but. Uh, by 2027 model year, so in 2026, that has to be 35 percent in following the regulation. That means delivered to lots in Vermont doesn't mean Vermonters have to buy them, ah. which is a challenge for all the auto dealers because they, you know, the whatever the powertrain is, they obviously want to supply the cars, the vehicles, the trucks, the SUVs that the consumers want, um, because every every day that that car sits on their lot unsold, this is the day that they're paying for it. Right. Um, so. So that will be the the challenge for uh, all these EV states over the next uh, three or four years is: Do we have the infrastructure available? Is the demand there? Are the incentive structures there? Is the cost is the cost in a place where people can adapt to them? Um, but new cars, starting in model year 2027, in Vermont and other zero emission vehicle states, will increasingly be: If you go to any car lot, will increasingly be battery electric or electric gas hybrids.
0: But you also said um, that the hybrids will. Will be there even yes. after these these uh, dates? Yes.
1: Yeah. So, the, so under the California Air Resources Board zero emission vehicle regulation, adopted of course Great. first in California, but then also by Vermont, soon likely in New Jersey, Connecticut, Maine, uh, New York, other other areas of the uh, mostly the Northeast and the Western states, the um, have adopted these regulations that will require the manufacturers to deliver. Vehicles that reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and that does include Good. hybrid vehicles, yes. which is which are more popular than battery electric vehicles in Vermont. But you know that could change. Uh, right well, now, diesel vehicles are more popular than electric
0: vehicles. I would buy a hybrid, but what I'm thinking is, since the demand for fuel oil for gas, the price will go up, right?
1: For for what?
0: For for a hybrid, it'll cost you a lot of money to buy the fuel because the demand won't be the same so they won't sell quantity they'll they'll jack up the price
1: well I, I think you, you're gonna have demand for gasoline for another hundred years same with diesel fuel and heating oil and propane they'll sell less of it but you know Vermont uh, excuse me the United States you know oftentimes we get this you know what about the the, um, the dependence on foreign oil the United States is an exporter Right, right. I mean that's flipped. So the, the talking points that are often cited, like, "Whoa, well, foreign foreign," we are exporting diesel fuel. We are exporting. Uh, we we are we are the largest consumers of gasoline. Yes, but we are exporting fuel because there's so much being created here in the United mm-hmm. States. That has flipped. But you still have this old mindset that oh, all of our fuel comes from overseas. No, right. no, no. It's created oh. here. In fact, we make so much of it, but we're exporting it to Europe.
0: I honestly, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, I mean, because we're living in this mentality of yeah. the 1970s and 80s where we're so dependent on foreign That's sources,
0: <laughs> and and
1: and we're not. We yeah. we are exporting fuel. So when when people look at the cost of diesel fuel uh, and they go, "Oh, the diesel diesel costs have risen," well. Look at the exports. Look, we're moving okay. diesel to Europe to help them solve their energy crisis, uh, and, and that's, that's the, that plays into supply and demand far greater than any fuel that we use here for transportation.
0: So what is the big yank about taking fuel from Venezuela, which is, which is purported to be very dirty and we shouldn't be using it, and yet it's importing from Venezuela? If we have our own, why don't we just buy local?
1: Well, we we do. So, I mean, think about, again – we have we're self sufficient in the United States, yeah. but there are certain supply chains where it makes sense to if you're creating um, if you have a refinery in California, it makes sense to put it on a ship and go elsewhere rather right. than send it by rail car to yeah. to New Jersey. So the fuel flows around still will flow around the globe. We're not going to shut off the the, the supply right. uh, chain network, um, but yeah, if you're if you're using heating oil, gasoline, or diesel fuel in mm. Vermont, it's coming from Quebec. Ah, right. Or it's coming from yeah, Albany, right, which is right. it, which is getting it off the pipe that's coming from Texas. You're not getting it from Venezuela. That's oh, not okay. happening. I mean, Venezuela fuel might go to Aruba or might go to uh, Puerto Rico, oh, okay. and that's fine. But you're not getting it cool. here.
0: All right. Thank you for that. Yeah. So glad you came on the show. One more thing we have to talk about, which we had talked about before, is your split the ticket initiative which is a a part of uh quote your sponsors that are on your website but that's a great program yeah
1: we were talking about the generosity of vermonters and and you know when i got done with news and i started doing this nonprofit management stuff there was uh i was recalling a time that i spent with my grandfather at the bell's falls diner miss bell's falls diner (laughs) and and i remember it was very impressionable as a young man um Someone came up to my grandfather and handed him a lot of cash. And I just assumed, oh, well, my grandfather was in the oil heat business. Probably he's paying a bill or something yeah. like that or, or, or debt. And, and, I, and I asked him what it was and he goes – and he put it in his pocket and he goes, no, no, he does this every year. And I said, what, is he, what do you mean? He goes, every year right before Christmas, he gives me some money and says, you know who needs help. You know oh. who needs a barrel of oil. You know who needs heat. You know who's struggling right now. I don't want to see anyone in my town going through Christmas without a warm – without any warmth. So I thought, oh, and he goes – I go, well, how do you know if it's enough to pay for it? He goes, oh, I'll just just fill it up and I'll pay for the rest. I thought, oh, well, that's an interesting idea. So I started this job. I created this nonprofit called Split the Ticket Fund in which I go out and ask fuel dealers, donate half – Find someone in your community, donate the the fuel, and then I go out and raise money that helps essentially split that delivery ticket, that invoice in two. So half the money for the fuel comes from uh, donations from the community. Half the money comes from the fuel dealers themselves. Either they choose uh, someone that they they know is in need because oftentimes they get the first call when there's a crisis. Or or you can nominate someone on our website, ticketsplit.org. There's someone in your community this is not raising your hand and saying i need help this is this is raising your hand saying my neighbor needs help
0: nice yeah. i love that yeah. that is great cuz we do have cold common
1: yeah, we've, we've, we've successfully raised over a hundred, we've, we've successfully delivered a hundred thousand gallons of free heating fuel, uh, to those neighbors in needs. Again, we have a wonderful, robust programs so of fuel assistance for low-income Vermonters right. who qualify. This is not that. This is, this is when someone is in a crisis. Say they've had a, 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 someone in their family's had a medical issue. Perhaps they've, they're, they're used to heating with wood, but they, but they broke a leg and aren't able to, to stack their own wood. Something happened that that necessitated a crisis and you know what's not on their mind how to sign up for public benefits but probably their neighbor knows what happened right. probably their neighbor knows someone at the fuel dealers and and they've said hey listen this person would never raise their hand and ask for help they All don't right. even know how to access help but they need what can you take something off their plate off their mind can they get a free uh, tank of oil and that's why we do this
0: thank you for that yeah. that is wonderful you work with a great group of folks
1: i think that's so nice.
0: So um, what we're trying to talk about today is when you hear about lobbyists or advocates, Um, they have a whole lot of folks that they represent. How do you, this is a strategy thing, how do you get with these folks when the legislature is starting up and what their key issues are? Um, There are some that are the same, I would assume, obviously taxes, and there's a few things that anybody can guess, but there are some unique to each one of these organizations, do you meet with them? Do you go to their meetings? Um, you know, how do you how do you identify what their priorities are?
1: Yeah, well, I certainly spend a lot of time on the road visiting um, with 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 members of all kinds, all these business businesses and their employees, learning about what they need. I'm on the phone constantly with Zoom meetings have helped have yeah. helped tremendously. But yeah, the whole idea is compromise, right? You're dealing with disparate. Um, uh, businesses that don't necessarily always agree, and nor should they, but you've got to be able to create a leadership structure in which you can talk about issues, where you can compromise where necessary, you can develop consensus where appropriate, and sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes the people will agree to disagree, and that's fine. That's how it should be. That's how it should be in the legislature as well. As long as everyone is agreeable about being disagreeable, um, that, that, that seems to work.
0: So uh, on break, we were talking – I asked Matt what kind of help he has in the office because this is a tough job for just one person and wait till you hear what he told me.
1: Well, just a shout-out to uh, Norwich University in Northfield. They've been working with them for the last 15, 16 years and students there have uh, – interested in government, political science, journalism – um, they uh, volunteer to uh, – to, for an internship and then about five years ago I realized I really should be paying them which because they do amazing work and, and a shout out to uh, all the people at Norwich University and, and they've been fantastic interns. Some have gone on to amazing things but they, they, they work for four months. They earn a little bit of money. They get a great, um, they get a great real-life education in how politics works. Great. And it's been really uh, it's been a great relationship, and and I really enjoy teaching young people about the job because there's a lot of uh, a lot of people just don't like politics. And that's fine, and some think they like it, but then but getting involved and in meeting right. the people right. and understanding what it's about, you know about it, Pat. Yeah. But, but being in the state house, it's a different type of. Uh, and some people run away screaming, say, "Nope, not for me. Never gonna do that again." <laughs> Others like me are junkies and just yeah. can't can't. I mean, I. would I can 't wait till January, and we 're back in the building and we're we 're talking about policy and, and and figuring out where things are going to go
0: well, I think it's great that young people are up in the state House just to see them walking around and, and engaged I mean we and, need way more young people up there
1: that's right and and just learning how it 's made and I again there 's lots of different opinions about politics these days, but and I would not want to be doing my job in d c right now or many oh. other states, but in Vermont there's still a a great level of respect amongst the different parties and different political persuasions and views, and it's still a, a place where we don't we cordon off into little office spaces. You still have to see each other in the hallways, mm-hmm. in the cafeteria, and you know what? That, that, that creates some sort of generosity of spirit in which people are working together, even if they disagree on policy issues. Yeah,
0: I remember the very first time I went on the floor to vote, and most of my – women friends up there were Democrats and me, and they adopted me. And we got on the floor and I voted different than all of them. And I thought, oh, gosh, this is just going to do it for me. They're never going to speak to me again. We got off the floor. You want to go to dinner? Come on, let's go. Never. Not once did they ever talk about my vote versus their votes. And that's the way it works. Right. I loved I loved it.
1: Yeah. Vermont is unique in that way. I mean, there's probably some other states that are similar to us. But I really do enjoy the job and I've spent been, been 20 years now as a journalist and, and as an advocate in that building and it's like working in a museum and you see some old friends and then you meet new ones and, and you have hopefully uh, healthy uh, discussions about the future of Vermont and, and, and the future of uh, our economic policy and our housing policy and our transportation policy and our energy policy.
0: The only thing that I think needs to be, if I may say the word improved, towards the end of the year when they're trying to get out bills, you can't totally rely on their schedule. That's posted.
1: No. Well, that's that's part of the game, right? <laughs> it,
0: mean, you have to be in the state house to to track it all.
1: You do, it, but that's when all of us advocates are in our keep.
0: Yep, right. Because yeah. I know I've been doing it by Zoom, covering for a campaign for a oh, month. Well, that's
1: hard to do. No, <laughs> that is hard. To I do. say
0: I'll write to Ben. Uh, they're not taking this up as posted, and. Then he'll make a call to somebody in the statehouse and go, no, it's not until tomorrow at 2 or whatever.
1: Yeah, it turns out, as is many things in life, uh, showing up is is half of it. And, and, And while we have so many different... Communications and tools that we can use nowadays, uh, being there in person, uh, there's yeah. really no replacement no, for that. No, that's true.
0: And you must testify a lot. Oh, all the not, time. Yeah. I'm sure you do. Because yeah. not only if it's on an issue that you're tracking, but you've got so much knowledge about the industry. It's,
1: right. And, and that's it's what, in your blood. And that's what's unique about uh, the legislature, right? You don't have – <laughs> Newsflash, there's no staffers. <laughs> there's no office. There's yeah. no uh, there's no people taking your calls or answering your emails when yeah. you're uh, in the legislature. So, yeah, having people with knowledge of yeah. how things work in Vermont is, is, is how we get by.
0: Yeah, I actually didn't realize that. At, it took me a while to, to realize that they really rely on us. No. Uh, to inform them uh how do they know how it works in state government or the fuel association and that sort of stuff. So right. they really do rely on us being there and helping them out. Right. Or in the cafeteria, which is where most of the work gets done, I think.
1: Yeah. That's, some, that's true. It's <laughs> yes. very true.
0: I, I love sitting in the cafeteria, and you know what's happening because you're watching people going back and forth to the speaker's office, and you're like, uh-oh. What's up? Right. Something's up. Right.
1: You don't get that on Zoom.
0: No, you don't. <laughs> you <laughs> you don't. do not. You don't. I'm hoping someday that they'll have it open so that you can comment. Um you have to sort of pre register and it's hard to know whether you would want to comment until you're you're there. Um yeah, very but true. that's that's a toughie. So anyway, um what do you think speaking of this coming session, what do you think will be issues that you're gonna be tracking for your folks?
1: Well, I I think you know 2020 was a big year. In right. 2020, the legislature passed the Global Warming Solutions Act, which put very um, stringent and significant benchmarks for reducing greenhouse gas emissions in Vermont, created a mandate that would be done, and it created uh, three deadlines. One is 2025, one is 2030, and one is 2050 for achieving greenhouse gas reductions. There will be a checkup by the legislature, as there always is, in terms of what we're spending money on in order to achieve those mandates and whether it's working or not. One is the clean heat standard. The other is a clean transportation initiative, which has been discussed, it was introduced this earlier this year, but never right. had a hearing. It was passed, but will likely come about. And the idea is for those that want to see Vermonters use less fossil fuels for heat and transportation, how do you – Increase the cost of those fuels so as to subsidize the use of non-fossil fuels. And that is the ongoing discussion. We've been having it for 20 years, and we're going to have it for another 50. Right. And in, in how you balance that as a in a way that doesn't harm those that can least afford increases in their cost of energy.
0: Thank and you. That's that. really challenging. Yeah, it is. And an my reservation, uh, although I I think we should do whatever we can do for sure, but there's a point at which do you get – the return. Vermont is so tiny that our bending that needle will be minuscule, even if we do absolutely everything we can, and we should, so right. don't misunderstand me. Right. But there's a point of no return. I mean, what is it? Diminishing returns. Right because um, you can't hurt the, the people that live here either. So it's, well that, it's a balance.
1: And that's where you hear those two words, mitigation and adaptation. Mitigation is what you're doing to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. What effect will it have on global climate change? Very little. Even the most of the advocates right, would recognize right. this. But adaptation is something you can actually do, putting electrical panels yep. and, and furnaces on the first floor away from the flood zones. Make sure that your development patterns are in a way that, that ensures that those areas that are higher risks made sense 100 years ago to build near the river, but now it does How can you encourage development um, um, so that in case there are larger floods or rain patterns that that are less effective? So I think think there is going to be a sentiment in that building that, wait, wait, why are we spending all this money on mitigation when it's not going to move the needle when we could be using that same amount? Because tax dollars are finite um, on adaptation. So I think that will be part of the conversation as well.
0: That's great. I hope so. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, you know, because um, I'm retired and a fixed income, one of those folks. So, uh, well, does know.
1: does it make sense to to you know if a, if there's flooding and a in if if a trailer park is located in a flood zone or there's a there's a there's a housing development near near an right. old housing development, does it make sense to build back or does it make sense to provide the regulatory structure? that would allow those homes to be moved or built elsewhere. And I think that makes a lot of sense. But there is, there is resistance that, that you know people who found Vermont and and don't want it to change since yep. the moment they moved here from wherever, um, there's resistance to uh, changing Act 250, yep. changing some of these regulatory structures that would make it easier to build more energy-efficient, flood-resilient housing. And that's, that's a shame. And yep. so we'll certainly be urging legislature to focus on that.
0: I wish Act 250 were not quite so, I don't know what the word is, people are passionate about it, and there's got to be a way to do it responsibly. Um, so that you make it easier for construction, but on the other hand, um, support the environment and keep what we have. Well, there just has to be.
1: You know, 50 years ago, Act 250 made a lot of sense for all these little towns and hamlets right. that didn't had no zoning. But now we have in many in many communities robust zoning. Right. I mean, you check out South Brunswick's land development regulations. I mean, it is it is a, a massive encyclopedia yep. of what you can and can't do. And to think that if you're thinking of building there, and then if you can get through that gauntlet, then going through Act right. 250, it becomes very challenging for anyone but the most sophisticated developers.
0: I hear the music, Matt Cota. Right. Thank you very much. Thank you Pat. for coming. I appreciate it. Uh, shout out your your uh, website for me.
1: Oh, you go go to uh, meadowhillvt.com But if you want to check out the Vermont Vehicle Index, see how much how, see how many cars we're selling and uh, see how much fuel we're selling, you can go to meadowhillmedia.com dot com and sign up for all the notifications.
0: There you go. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Stay tuned. I'm talking to former Senator Joe Benning about his motorcycle trip through Ireland. Hello. Bye-bye.